0: We can know how to do something without knowing why exactly it's working.
1: This is the Sparkcast, a bi weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Ashley Christine is used to battles. From growing up off the grid in the White Mountain National Forest and contending with the harsh elements of New Hampshire winters, to navigating the social media landscape, she has dealt with both physical and mental battles. But how does a young woman go from studying mathematics at university to spending her days making TikTok videos about STEM? In our conversation with Ashley, she shares her fascinating transition from small town life to a career in mathematics, her unexpected path to becoming a STEM content creator, and the importance of personalized guidance in this field. She shares insights into her approach to dealing with online toxicity and negativity, and the resilience it takes to promote STEM education effectively. Here's our conversation with Ashley Christine. I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about, you know, growing up in New Hampshire and what that was like, because I did see, I think it was on your blog or on one of your posts that you grew up with doomsday profits for parents.
0: It's primarily because I was born in Jersey. And so I spent my younger years, like as a kid, little kid, um, living in various subsidiary Northeastern city shitholes. And then when 9-11 happened, my parents had always wanted to leave the city, that had always been a thing. But I think that was like, for them, the tipping point, like the Mm. straw that broke the camel's back. And so we moved the summer after. So 9-11 happened, right? And then the summer of 2002, my parents were like, peace. And so we went up to Northern New Hampshire in the White Mountain National Forest, one of probably the most aggressively difficult places to survive in. Just, I mean, even from what I understand, even hearing stories about it, native americans there was like one or two tribes maybe that could survive up there but even they kind of avoided it cuz it was just so hostile so windy it's so cold it's beautiful um especially in the summer like we have peak seasons that are gorgeous but you know back in back in the early 2000s winter was long it was it was most of the year and my parents wanted to live off grid they wanted to disconnect from society have their own water source electricity food heat that was a big one obviously because our winters were so long yeah and they wanted us to know how to do it too so it was a culture shock major culture shocks i had never experienced anything. also too i'd been poor up until that point and then my mom remarried so that's how we were even able to get out because if you're a poor kid you never leave like that's those expenses you know the expenses costs you know how much money you make it doesn't add up so my stepdad who i just call my dad for all intents and purposes because he raised me since i was a kid really Um, my dad was an electrician, so he could, man, he can build anything. He can reverse engineer anything he sees. It's incredible. So even though we moved up there and we didn't always know what we were doing, he could figure it out so quickly. And his best friend was a plumber who had his own business and a mechanic. So like, I mean, we had all of the resources. It was just pretty steep learning curve in the beginning. Um, but eventually I think my dad said at the end, we were like 90% off grid um the problem was he wanted to get a wind turbine and the town wouldn't let him they called it an eyesore which is ridiculous because i had friends who had wind turbines and we were in the middle of nowhere like we were sloped in such a way you would have never seen this thing so um that was kind of i think for him the final 10 percent that he was just like because solar panels were really bad back then they weren't very efficient and we had like 300 days of clouds or something crazy like that their battery power i mean to this day battery power with solar panels is an issue but it was much worse back then so he didn't want to rely on that he wanted the wind turbine but they were like no but yeah it was like 90% for the most part so it was pretty it was pretty cool it was fun i enjoyed it it was just kind of stressful because if you make a mistake there's real consequences for that you know rather than in the city you can like oh you know the refrigerator doesn't work i'll just postmates you know like you don't have luxuries like that when you when you when you live like that um but it definitely wasn't like a shack or anything it, my parents did a really good job they were ahead of their time I'll tell you what they they saw where everything was going and they're like we're gonna build this now and whoever lives in that house now I bet they don't even know that house is rigged up ready to go I bet they don't know about any of the underground piping I bet they don't know about anything I don't know who owns that house now actually
1: so your family isn't there anymore
0: when I moved there winter was pretty brutal we in in, every january we had negative 20 degrees fahrenheit uh for weeks on end right i mean this is so cold that there can't be clouds so it would be sunny blue skies not a cloud in the sky and yet you were exposed to the air for more than 30 seconds and you'll get frostbite. (laughs) like it was living in antarctica but the nice thing about it is that it eradicated most insects so we never had ticks ever and uh, we would have like a mosquito, black fly, horse fly season, but they were brief, all things considered. Um, so we liked the cold because it was the price was the cold, but the benefit was no ticks, right? And then things started to warm up. I remember my senior year, uh, there were three weeks in January where we had grass and that had never happened before. And we were all really freaked out. There's a kind of stress you experience when your life is dependent on the ecosystem, And it's starting to fall apart because it's like an existential threat that you have no control over. You can't build it. You can't put money into it. It's just existential. And I remember everybody being really stressed out seeing that grass. And that's kind of when it started. And we started having ticks, never had them before, at least not on this level. Now we have this issue where moose are found dead and they're literally sucked dry, like a vampire. They have no blood in their bodies. It's just like, hundreds of ticks all over them. And it's kind of this crisis right now that we don't really know how to solve because our e- there's no natural predators for them. Our ecosystem wasn't designed to support these numbers of ticks. So my dad, who of course worked outside all the time, got bitten by a tick and got Lyme's disease. And um because of how brutal it is to live up there and how tough he is on his body, his doctor was basically like, if you don't move somewhere warm, this is going to kill you. Or at least it's going to really damage your skeletal system and all the other side effects that come with it. So it took a couple of years, but my parents eventually sold the house and built a new one in Florida, which is where my dad is now. And he doesn't have nearly, he still has problems, but he doesn't have nearly the same kind of problems he would have if he was shoveling, you know, six feet of snow every few days or something crazy like that. So yeah, so we, we sold the house to a friend of mine who used some of the stuff my family had rigged up in that house. But ultimately, like, I don't think he cared too much. It wasn't really his thing. And then uh, he actually divorced, <laughs> and which, is, which isn't super common in my town. Like, most people marry their high school sweetheart or who they met in college, and they're together forever. That's, like, very small town, very normal. But they divorced and sold the house, and we don't know who they sold it to. But my friend barely knew how that house was rigged up, so there's for sure no way that these people know that there's a like, – 150 foot long six foot deep trench rigged up for solar panels beneath that earth like I guarantee they have no idea that's there but it's kind of a shame because it. I'm sure they'd enjoy it if they knew it was (laughs) no but I guess we haven't told them yeah it's small town drama I guess
1: but I mean it sounds like that that you know, growing up there off grid with all of these uh, things that your family was sort of playing with and experimenting with, really kind of shaped your passion for science and for learning and for figuring out how things work.
0: There's a lot of reasons I came out the way I did. My mom was obsessed with education. Um, she was she wasn't one of those like you need an A student, you need to be an A student or anything like that. It was just every weekend she would take us to the library and. So I have two stepsisters, me and the middle one read like crazy. The youngest one doesn't really like it, but we outnumbered her so she didn't have a choice. So my mom would bring us to the to the library every Sunday and we'd get like four or five books. We'd read them that whole week and we'd go back the next Sunday. And when we lived in the city, it was a lot easier because obviously like the Providence Library is this old, beautiful building with like books that smell like they're 100 years old. Um, so I did miss that. I will say um, we didn't do it as much when we lived in the North Country. Um, but growing up, my mom was pretty strict about that. So every weekend we would do that stuff. And then, yeah, you moved to the North country and then, um, which is what the locals call that area. Um, and then, you know, your parents have all these expectations of you. So you kind of just have to learn how to fix things, how things work. And when I crashed my car, um, cause I, I slipped on ice. Right. And I hit a tree. Um, uh, my dad did all the heavy lifting for that for sure. But, um, he would still have me go out there and be like, Here's how you fix an air conditioner. <laughs> like, you know, and you kind of just start to see like how the world works and how the pieces connect in, um, especially when you're so dependent on your ecosystem, just the earth sciences. And uh, my school was really into making sure that all the students knew where they lived and how to live there. Um, my best friend, my God, her senior year, they're like graduation, not a ceremony, but test, I guess. They would go out into the woods with just a tarp and a rope for like three days and they would all be in their own section and they couldn't leave their section. So they were completely isolated and you just had to hang out there. And uh my school had done something semi-similar for freshman year, but it was like way more mellow and easier. So I was like, Well, what was that like? And my best friend was like, It's just boring. <laughs> She's like, It's just so boring. It, you have nothing to do, you can't read, like you just kind of sit there and you wait for the time to pass. And I was like, Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds like us. Sounds like something we would do to our kids. <laughs>
1: just bore them to death. <laughs> it's like survivor real teen, teen edition.
0: Yeah, it it was. I mean, uh, my freshman year when we were learning about like pH levels and stuff, my teacher was like, you know what? Let's just get on the bus. And we went down. There's a lot of natural rivers up there, of course. Um, and she took us, I think it was the Aminusik. I can't remember, but she took us to a river and like, she taught us how to catch fish with our bare hands by building traps out of rocks. And we put them all in a bucket and we like, we did some tests on the fish. I don't remember. And then set them free, tested the water that way. But like, it was, it was October, which meant for us, it was about to snow and we're in there like waist deep and like freezing cold ice water. And we don't mind. We're like, well, some of us were obviously pretty miserable, but like for the most part, you're kind of accustomed to that life and you don't really doesn't really phase you. But yeah, the teachers also were very like, you need to know where you are and how to live. And yeah, I mean, years of that, you just, I don't know, the world makes a little bit more sense as opposed to now where everything's very internet dependent, very easy, just order whatever you need or want or to do. Whereas for me growing up, I, I always joke that I grew up like a boomer because it's a time capsule up there and it takes decades for things to reach us. So even the internet and cell phones took of years for us to really catch on to it. Um, you, you grew up in a time capsule, you know, so everything is much more analog. You learn more things with your hands and your mistakes have greater consequences, which I would argue makes you learn quicker and better because you don't want to make catastrophic mistakes that could blow the pipes in your house, you know, because you didn't have enough heat that day because you screwed up the fire, which is exactly what happened to me when my parents left for a weekend. Um, so I never made that mistake again the bites didn't burst. Thank God that would happen later. <laughs> but, uh, that time, uh, yeah, they didn't, but my, my dad was pissed. I, we went through, I must've gone through like a third of our wood supply in a weekend because I just could not figure out the Benjamin Franklin stove that we had. And
1: yeah. So he was like, you're going to learn. So for
0: like three weeks, I would just sit by him every day, every night, um, and watch him make this fire that again, you want to last for eight hours without your intervention. You don't want to wake up every two hours trying to like Fix this fire. And it's a lot harder than you think. But now, whenever I make a fire, I can tell by looking at it, that's not going to work. Like, it's like, my dad used to say it's an art, you know, knowing how to just build a fire. And that's something, it takes years of seeing it, of working with it. And it's just, I mean, a lot of those skills take a long time. And you appreciate them, but now I can't use a single one of them. So most of my life skills are pretty useless, to be honest.
1: (laughs) You grew up, you know, in the North Country with, you know, these very uh, sort of like traditional learning and, and, and concepts. What's your plan after graduation?
0: Up until that point, my life had been pretty hard, but in very different ways. Like as a kid, I was really, really poor. And then obviously my mom uh, remarried and, uh, we weren't wealthy by any means, but we had it pretty comfortably, but it was still really hard, just in a completely different way. Now it was like this physical way where you never felt like you had a break. And my parents made us pay for pretty much everything ourselves. So I had a job. I mean, I worked full time on the summers, weekends and the winter. It was pretty, it was rough. So, you know, the only thing I wanted at that point was money. I just wanted money. I was so tired of it. I was tired of all of that. I appreciated it. I had a good time, but like. I was already exhausted and I was a teenager for God's sakes. Like, it was kind of like, all right, this doesn't, I don't want to live my whole life like this. Like, this is just, you know, you, you see how other people live on on social media and television. And you're like, well, why can't I have that? Like, why am I always, I have so much nerve damage to my face from frostbite. I have a friend who like, she can't feel three of her fingers. Like, I was just like, I'm, I'm you know, what the hell, you know? Why can't I just not be bleeding for once, you know? Um, So I just wanted money but I was good at math. So, um, it was suggested to me to go to school for accounting. That's actually what I originally went to school for. I was an accountant for years. Um, but it was boring, man. And, and it pays well, but it's not like super great unless you're really passionate about it or you're very well connected, either of which I was. Um, so that's when I, I switched to, to math, but you know, the idea with small towns like that is everybody wants to get out and leave. Everybody left. I mean, it's like a flood. Most of us went to uh, Montana, to University of Bozeman. Um, I think it's University of Montana. It's in Bozeman. I think half my class went there, which was basically the same lifestyle, but in a different place. <laughs> and then the uh, remaining quarter went into the military. And then the other remaining quarter kind of like all over the place. But the, the moral is we all left, right? And pretty much all my friends went right back, right after college. I, me and my sister didn't. Um, I have a couple of friends who didn't, but like my core group of friends that I grew up with are all still in my hometown. And I'm kinda jealous, you know, but I don't have a job that I could survive there. Like they have very like one of them one of them's an engineer, the other owns a restaurant. Like they have like the other one's a psych. Uh I oh, well, she she works in psychology, but she's not a psychologist. So she's necessary because people go crazy living up there. No, just kidding. <laughs> normal stuff, nor you know, just your normal being a human. Um, So they have necessary jobs and I, I kind of don't. So I know I wouldn't live as comfortably up there as like they can. And so, but yeah, I mean, one day it'd be cool to like go back. O- of course, nothing's ever the same, you know, even though nothing up there changes aesthetically, uh, the people do a little bit. So I know that I would never have like my old friend group back and I wouldn't really exactly have that life again, but it's, I mean, just being in the darkness and being in the cold is, like something that I, I always dream about because that's like my happy place. It's just like a dark, cold, moonlit world. Cause that was our world for like, you know, 10 hours every day. <laughs> you know, that was like, so I do miss that a lot, but um, I have time probably unless some freak accident happens, you know, <laughs> so I can go back.
1: <laughs> so you're an accountant for a while and then you decide you're going to start a study applied math, right?
0: I wanted to do applied mathematics because I had, I actually, at the time I had, a couple of friends who worked at spacex and i used to always tell them about my ideas things i wanted to build and stuff and they were like just get a math degree and i was like okay and i did i mean i was just like sure again like accounting math is definitely not the same but your mind is already wired towards that way of analytical thinking that it's like it's not the roughest transition as far as a career goes um so it was like relatively easy for me and then i was in grad school when COVID happened So that's still on pause. I probably won't ever do it because I've been doing so well with this that it's like,
1: (laughs) I saw that you'd done your math degree and then you had applied for grad school in California. So had you already started uh, your grad studies when COVID happened?
0: We were already in class. (laughs) Yeah. And so the thing was, it was 2020, right? So this would have been August, 2020. And so that whole summer every school was like on the fence about we'll be in the classroom we we won't so nobody really knew what was going to happen until literally the first week of class and then I was like okay online learning for a semester when you only have four semesters in a math grad program right not a lot of time especially if you're writing a thesis which most students don't do Um, but you need resources you know you need access to professors and the other students and I mean even the library just like you need you need physical access to things, right? So online learning for the first semester, I was like, oh, I mean, all right. But, and then we, it kind of came down that spring semester would also be online. And it became one of these things where it's like, is it going to be two years of this, right? Because remember, I mean, if you remember at the time, nobody knew what was going to happen. Every day was a mystery. And so this, a lot of schools were like, all right, look, we know this sucks. So if you want to put your enrollment on hold, And just come back whenever this whole thing blows over you can do that so a lot of schools were kind of telling their students like if you not a lot of schools some schools obviously wanted the money but um my school thankfully was like yeah I get in some other students had done it too but while I was on that break I was making TikTok videos because I was like eh, why not I got nothing else to do and uh, they blew up and it's kind of been my job ever since so it's like If I went back to grad school, I couldn't do any of the social media stuff anymore. I mean, it completely consumes your life. If I did go back to grad school, it would be into research, but I kind of enjoy this more. So I don't, I don't, I just don't see myself going back.
1: So I was going to ask you about, you know, the first couple of videos. So can you talk a little bit about that? You've got all this free time. What was the thing that you saw that kind of spurred your mind? Like, oh, I should do a video on this.
0: I always have a hard time explaining this because when you work on a thesis, you're writing it for other professors who work in the field. So I haven't really figured out how to simplify that one yet, and I don't have to talk about it too often, so I always kind of forget like, oh yeah, I need to at some point like break that down so I can figure out how to talk about it. But basically, if you have a piece of paper with a circle drawn on it, that has a certain surface area that is smaller than like a tennis ball. The tennis ball surface area is bigger because it's like a 3D object. It's it's It may look the same if you take a picture of both, they look the same size, but of course, in the, our third dimensional world, the tennis ball has significantly more surface area because it has a higher dimensional space, right? So as you go up in dimensions, that circle, that ball become has more and more surface area. But then when you get around seven, 7.2 dimensions, it starts to decrease. And there are mathematical explanations for it. But my argument was if we ever wanted to build a wormhole, or work with higher dimensional spaces, if they exist. We actually don't know. Mathematically, they totally do. Computer engineers use it too. You know, as a physical place to go, like, who knows? We have no idea. But I was like, but if they did, this surface area thing, I mean, like, it's one uh, It's one piece of a very big problem where we may not know how to navigate in there because we don't know the size of things, where they are. Like, it, it's it's a whole thing. And so I kind of thought this would be like a fun little project to maybe figure out if maybe something was missing with our surface area calculations. And would that lead to more discoveries in figuring out if higher dimensions existed, how the math would work there? There is a huge possibility, none of it's realistic at all, but I thought it was worth a try because I had nothing to lose. I was an accountant at the time paying the bill. So I was like, what do I care? Like, you know, this all falls through. I have a job. You're like, You're It's not a big deal. It's just something fun to do. But obviously the more I looked into it, the more I got sucked into it and like, started to believe it more and more so I made a video just about kind of like the drama behind all that I didn't really like break it down too much but just like the drama of the math world because there's quite a bit and people really enjoyed hearing about that I think they really like to know that like oh nerds are just like us (laughs) you know like uh, you know like these ultra smart people which I'm not one of them by the way I hung by a thread I mean I, I at least knew how to communicate with them but I think people enjoy learning about all that high level intelligence stuff that maybe they don't understand the topics, but it's kind of cool to hear about how those people navigate their topics and how they find the research and how they communicate to each other. And, uh, science is the exact opposite. I've noticed people don't really like listening about the drama in the science communities. Um, you know, like the flat earth stuff, like people just kind of roll their eyes. They're like, all right, I, you know, like I'm over that. Um, but they like to hear about how things actually work. I think most people, their minds can wrap their heads around science a lot easier than they can wrap their heads around the math behind things. And so that's why I kind of started to, like, shift more towards science and tech. Uh, But the joke in, like, for example, if you go to school for physics, the joke is always the hardest part about physics is the math. I do have this advantage where I can understand pretty complex topics because I can read the math behind it. So I have I have a huge advantage talking about this stuff, but I mean, people think I'm a scientist and technically I'm I'm not at all. It's just, I'm using my math knowledge to communicate those things. Cause you do learn the math behind it when you go to school for math of course. Right. Um, we learn a lot of the similar stuff, but I, I do have to teach myself thermodynamics, you know, like the technicalities of that, not the math, because like, for me, the math is a breeze, you know, but it's more just like, what happens when you mix this environment with this environment? And I'm like, oh, okay. And I have to like learn that, you know, like learn the parts of an atom and like all these things that you're just, you know, mathematicians don't necessarily know, but we'll probably have an easier time. I knew a lot of people who minored in math and it helped them a lot. So it, it it wasn't, if I could go back to school again, like if I were to go back to grad school, I'd probably go to fit for physics at this point because it's more of what I'm doing now than that thesis that would've been cool, you know, even if it was not right, um, but would've been fun. You know, I just, yeah, I, just, I think if I was gonna go back, it'd be for that. But then I wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff because it's totally time consuming, so.
1: So you do your first, you know, TikTok. Does the first one blow up right away?
0: Yeah, the, the first one I made on this anyway. I had one for, um, I was at, I moved to LA because I was a demo singer. Um, I so was gonna ask was, you about music because music kind yeah, of go together. They do. They do. You'd be surprised. Um, They they do. Actually, it's a very uh, pretty much a lot of the mathematicians that I know can play an instrument or can hold a tune or they really like music or something. Um, And I've actually known a couple of musicians who were like weirdly good at like Calc 3 or something like. um, So, yeah, they're not entirely unrelated. Um, There is a big jump between the two, but it's not uncommon to find people who have an interest in both. Um, but yeah, I was originally a demo singer. Uh, I'm classically trained violinist and pianist. I've been doing it for like 20 years. I was not very good at the violin as a, as a note, uh, the piano I was much better at and I was a much better singer than that. So I moved to LA and I, I kind of got into demo singing as like a side gig and I really liked it. I had caught, I'd gotten a couple of job offers to do that full-time like representation and you know, um, but nobody screws anybody over like the music industry. It's probably one of the worst industries on planet earth for it really is. Like think about it this way. Taylor Swift is debatably one of the most famous human beings on earth. And look at that struggle she went through a few years ago, just to own the rights to her own songs. And she's, she's like a God in the music industry. And look how they treat her. Look how they treat her. Imagine what the, she's got a team of lawyers. Like, I mean, imagine what the rest of us were dealing with. Like if they're screwing, they screw you so hard. I mean, it's probably one of the most impossible industries to make a living off of. So I, I turned down pretty much every offer and I just stuck with demo singing, um, which was really fun. And so that was what my page originally was, was just singing stuff. And so the math video was just kind of like a, I'm not doing anything today. And then it blew up. And I was like, well, that could be a one time one off, you know, and then I did it again and it did really well. And then again, and I was like, Oh, this is probably a thing. So I completely changed the whole page. I deleted most of the music stuff. I kept some up just to be like, "Hee hee, I do this too. And I changed my name. I did the whole thing. I I live in LA. I know the game. Like you, you got to get on on it early. You can't change your name. Like halfway through, it's just going to confuse people. So I knew like, oh, I got to get the visuals done now, the name, I have to be consistent. Um, and so I, I really started to hustle that summer and uh, I just been doing that ever since.
1: So your first couple of videos go viral. You're like, okay, this is something that I can probably do more of. It's the middle of the pandemic. So there really isn't anything else to do. How do you kind of like, because I looked at some of your videos, like there are days when you're posting like three, four or five videos a day, like, and you'd say it takes up so much of your time. One, how you like select the topics you're going to talk about, because some of the stuff is, you know, kind of like really timely, like it's just happening and unfolding as you're talking about it. Some of the stuff is not, but some of it is. So how do you go about like deciding, one, what you're going to talk about. And then you're going to have to do a little bit of research because, you know, the math comes easy, but there might be some stuff that you need to dig a little bit deeper into. Like, what does that kind of like look like for you?
0: Every day is a research project. It's literally every single day. I'm very thorough. I do not want to make a single mistake. And even a casual word placement, like saying the word usually in math that could mean something that means like 60 or 70 or more so I'm very I am very selective over my word choice and I research I mean even words that I use all the time that I'm like wait what does that mean like I got my ass chewed for pronouncing the mountains on the east coast Appalachian but that's how north of Philly that's how everybody pronounces it I, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that like it. everybody else says Appalachia I think but like things like that that I get eaten alive for then I'm like who like what the like that's how the Northeast pronounces it. That's the translation. Like, I don't know what to tell you, you know? um. So I do tons of research to make sure that, I mean, God, even I have a page that I say just on how to pronounce words. My dad has a Boston accent. So like, I just learned the other day that reservoir has an R in the middle. Like, I don't, I didn't know that. You know, so like, I'm always playing this game where I feel like an idiot. Cause like, I should know this, but you know, you're like, your life gets in the way and you, you miss stuff. But generally I like following the news. Kind of my favorite thing to do. Because I think it's the most exciting, you know, like new discoveries and new inventions and you know, people love that stuff. And it's relatable because it gives people hope that like maybe we can unscrew this mess that we've made for ourselves. Um, so I, I kind of like to focus on optimistic topics like that. And then what will happen is in a video like that, like if I'm talking about like recently, I made one last week on quantum computers and what's called a cat qubit. I know when I make these videos that they're, I'm leaving out like ninety nine point nine percent of all the information. And I'm just giving you like the fun parts Um, But if I notice a pattern, like if most people are asking the same question, I'll usually make a video on what on explaining what that question is. So that's how the videos where I break something down comes from usually is from a recent video where people were very confused. Um, So that's basically how I get that idea. But I I think of stuff all the time. Like I was in the car the other day and um, I had a friend who had like microwaved a mug of coffee or something. And I was like, I know how microwaves work, but I bet there's something about them that I'm missing. You know, because when you tell somebody like, here's how the microwaves work, and this is why the food spins, and I think people are kind of like, yeah, whatever. But if you start talking about microwaves themselves as they exist on electromagnetic spectrum, like not the machine, but like a microwave, like the the radiation part of it. And then you start telling people like, we're going to start using that as a means to maybe transmit energy from space to Earth. You know, like a wireless energy transfer, that's when people are like, oh, wait, what are microwaves? And that's when they start getting really interested in what the thing is, because now I've just related it to like the future. People love hearing about the future. That's why all of our sci-fi movies are based on the future. <laughs> so I always try to keep that future angle in mind because that's what I think people don't even realize they
1: want. Can you go through your day without thinking about science?
0: No, and it's not just science. It's, it's a lot of tech to um, engineering stuff, which to this day, I'll still call my dad and be like, how do solar panels work again? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I, I mean, he's built them by hand. So like, he's super knowledgeable when it comes to engineering things. Um, whenever I want to talk about something with anatomy, my mom works at a hospital so, uh, well, I don't think she does anymore actually, but she worked at one pretty much for most of her life. So I asked her about like the biology questions and stuff. So it's very nice having parents like that. But I mean, if I wanted to know how to spell a word growing up, my mom would be like, look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> so like, you, you know, everything becomes this task of, of breaking things down in your mind and constantly thinking about stuff, which was definitely triggered by my parents that I've just kind of carried with me my whole life. So yeah, I mean, I'll sit in a car and I'll be like, how does a catalytic converter work? Like, what am I <laughs> What are, like what does it actually do? Like I'll, you know, or I'll hear the muffler and I'll be like, "Why is it so loud?" Like, I know like the basic mechanics of it, but I mean, what what's make what makes a loud sound? Like, how does even a loud noise what does it look like? You know, like as a sound wave? So my mind just kind of goes down this rabbit hole usually and um a lot of dead ends a lot of dead ends but um sometimes there's a little gem in there where i'm like whoa i didn't know that that's like i had one about a month ago where i was doing research on um they were building a highway in san diego or something and they uncovered bones from like before the ice age or whatever which is super cool um but i didn't realize that camels were native to north america or at least the ants like the very distant ancestors of camels they originated in North America and uh, llamas and like they migrated south after the ice age or during it I can't really remember um, but they're also related to camels and the kind that we're so accustomed to are like uh, a descendant of that original version that was in North America and like I didn't know any of that and I just went down the rabbit hole and I was like whoa of course I get accusations of like being racist when I talk about that stuff which is extremely exhausting I, I mean people pick fights over just like stuff that I'm like what do you I mean, dude, I got this from National Geographic, like people act like I make things up. And it's like, that's why I source in every single video I put my sources and it's always like Britannica, National Geographic, NASA. Like, I mean, I I don't mess around with that. It's like, guys, I'm not making this stuff up, you know what I mean? It's just like, so I, I deal with a lot of, a lot, a lot of hate, a lot of hate on the daily for, you know, I'm sure if I was different or looked different, I would get different kinds of hate. Um... It, there's no end to that but you kind of have to just ignore it and just which is really hard that's that's one big lesson I've been learning that's still taking its time to sink in <laughs>
1: Well, and I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, we were talking before we started recording that, you know, I I don't really do TikTok, so I don't know. I don't see the comments there, but I looked back on your Instagram videos like to the beginning and I remember seeing the one about the tennis balls, which was why I was kind of oh, yeah. off screen. But, you know, a lot of the comments that come up right off the top, like usually one of the first three is like some negative comment. And, yeah. you know, you say it's still difficult to deal with that, but how do you actually like work through that especially like at the beginning when you're not really used to that level of attention and all of a sudden you start getting these comments and then they be, just become like a regular thing that you have to deal with that's got to be exhausting like mentally
0: you know nowadays if you go to school for mathematics it's pretty it's a pretty diverse i mean maybe because i live in LA but it was a really diverse group and in, in grad school it was like half male half female you had um asian you had indian black yeah i mean it was just like you had everybody it was all over it was pretty cool but again it's LA so Maybe that was why. But um, when I first went into college back in the old days, um, I was the only girl in one of my computer classes. I was one of two girls in um, one of my math classes, and it was an extraordinarily toxic environment. I mean, it was just breathtaking. And what they weren't just mean to me. I mean, they were mean to each other too. And it was like there's no sustainability to this. I don't understand why like, you know, I get it in middle school, maybe to an extent, but like, holy shit, guys, like, you know, we're in our 20s now. I, I This is, it was really bad. It was really bad. When I was in high school, I was a snowboard instructor, which was especially in the early 2000s, male dominated. Snowboarding didn't even really become popular until 96 when it was in the Olympics. Um, There were still mountains when I was a kid that didn't allow snowboarders. It was very male dominated because it was like the rebels willing to break the rules and I think that's kind of how it developed. That and skateboarding was predominantly male; easy transition into that. So, I mean, I spent most of my life being in like predominantly male environments. So, I was I was already kind of used to having to know that a confrontation was coming before I stepped into a room. I was already, and again, they were pretty mean to each other too. It wasn't like it was just the, I always got the same crap. You know, it was always the same to get back into the kitchen, make a sandwich, it, like. Oh man, you know like it, it really wears down on you after a while because it's like what does it have to do with freaking anything? Like I, it's just it's so bizarre and and it, my mind is very like analytical and logical like that so for me it was just like oh, this is just stupid like I don't like it, it you don't make any sense to me like I I I don't know. Um so it wasn't so much like that I was getting emotional about it it was just I was like just confused like where did you mess up in your life that you think this makes sense? Like I don't understand. On the internet it's a little bit different. It's actually a bit more dangerous because the algorithm favors location. So, most of my followers, at least in the beginning, especially, were Los Angeles. I mean, that was like the bulk of it. I mean, I would say I can't really remember the numbers, but it was definitely like 60 to 70%. So, if you have, you know, like 300,000 followers and 60, 70% live nearby, and you got like 10 guys who are threatening to do some pretty heinous stuff, the odds of me walking outside. And one of them seeing me, it's not so slim now. Like now, and I don't know what they look like, but they know what I look like and what I sound like. And um, that was really stressful. I had one guy send a picture of my apartment to me. Um, yeah, and that's when I changed my name. Amazon packages, when they come to me, don't have my name on it. It's a it's a different name, which actually is a trick I got from a friend of mine who, uh, she's like a B-list celebrity. And we were at her house and she was getting these packages and I was like, why is your, who is this? And she's like, oh, that's my fake name. She's like, if you ever get, if you ever start getting successful, you need to change your name whenever you get packages. And I was like, oh, so I, I did that. Um, I changed my name in all social media, private, public. I didn't put my last name anywhere. And that helped a lot. So you kind of have to be really proactive as far as like people like threatening me. It's like, mm, do it. And then we'll have a talk. Like, it's just words to me for the most part. Again, there's that little fear factor of walking down the street and Although my best friend's like probably the most intimidating, frightening looking human being on earth. So like generally when he's around, like nobody does anything because like he's terrifying looking. <laughs> it's like he's like this big dude who's like tattooed. He has like a black beard. And he just looks angry all the time. Like, nah. so generally I'm only in public around him uh, so that I'm like, eh, I'm probably fine. But um, I filter stuff. I've learned the right filter words. Um so I don't see a lot of them unfortunately the biggest price you pay is you can't look at anything which is a bummer because then you can't look at the good stuff Um I will only look at the comments in the first hour that I post something because those are the followers and they're going to probably be all you know like they're asking questions or they're like what does this mean or like it's very constructive but after an hour I stop looking because I know now that the algorithm is stretching out to non-followers and some videos go down the rabbit hole of groups of people I am definitely not interested in ever talking to and then I'll get away for three days of just like the most heinous and and so that happens sometimes um but you learn to navigate it and you learn your own patterns I think the not looking after the first hour is probably the best I've come up with so far but it is a bummer because there's like you know there's good people on there too who just have legitimate questions and i'm never going to see them because if you don't get to it in the first hour but that's why i'm starting to i'm going to do like live streaming soon so hopefully that will be a better way for the people who are like actually serious and have real questions you know and i don't have to walk everybody out of my mind <laughs> equally treat everyone equally because i don't know who the actual danger and you know, the one out of a million chance there's a little legitimate threat. But when you live in a city with 13 million people and, you know, there's not a lot of square footage, it's like, oh, you know, the odds start to go up every day I step outside my apartment. You know what I mean? Like, I've done the stats, dude.
1: You know, every day I go
0: outside, the odds get higher and higher.
1: You talked a little bit about when you're researching material and sometimes you go down these rabbit holes where you're studying or looking at something and then it turns out to be nothing. Do you exhaust all of the research or, you know, the majority of it before you kind of give up on a topic? Or do you at some point go, okay, I've spent two hours on this. It's not really going anywhere. Let's move on to something else.
0: I would say there's probably two ways something doesn't go anywhere. It's one, because I was wrong and it's actually not a thing. I stopped that immediately once I figured that out because there's no point, Right. And the other is if it's like boring, if there's just like no fun angle I can find with it, then I, I'll stop if it's kind of like a wait, That doesn't happen a whole lot. I mean, I usually can find an angle where it I can make it interesting. But if it does fall flat, it's usually because I was wrong about something. It's like, oh, that doesn't really work. Or it doesn't work quite the way I wanted to go with it. You know, it doesn't have quite the angle I thought would be interesting. So I'm going to stop, you know. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I can find something pretty interesting with pretty much any angle
1: so do you keep like a a notebook yeah. with ideas that you yeah. just sort of jot down and you're like when you're in the car and you're like how does that kind a lot of computer yeah. work
0: like the most recent one I, I wrote that I knew to make a good video on is how bridges are made but in water like everybody's always like wait how do you displace the water to put and again my dad you know knows how to do pretty much anything uh with reverse engineering and he explained it to me once So I've known for a while, but I was like, oh, yeah, I don't think a lot of people know that. And it's actually pretty interesting on how clever humans are. I mean, we've been building bridges like that since forever. Um, And so, yeah, I'll write it down on my phone and then I'll research it later. But I also have an obscene amount of books I read all of the time. Like I was traveling last week and I read two books because the flights are like 16 hours long. So whenever I'm in an airport, I always grab one of like the best sellers or usually uh, nonfiction and I'll read one of those so I read a lot so I have like this huge collection if I ever get bored I just look at it and skim through and pick a page and it's like you know what what was this person talking about on this page and like all right let's dive into this so there's never there is no shortage of topics there is no shortage of angles there's always something people have questions on if I notice that a lot of people have the same question I'll save their um their comments or and I'll get back to it later sometime I don't always but I try um, so yeah, there's no shortage. Oh my God. Absolutely not.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is there something that has ever surprised you that you, like you posted about thinking, well, this is something that's of interest to me, but I don't know if anybody else is interested And then It kind of just like blew up. Was oh yeah. Anything- all the
0: time. That happens yeah. all the time. I throw away videos. Um, I, I know there was one, the most recent one was probably I made a video on the Dodo and I was like, there's no way this is going to go anywhere. But, i there was oh yeah i wrote uh, that's what it was i made a video on why godzilla couldn't exist and uh it was because i had a conversation with my friend about it i think we were watching pacific rim or something and i was just like oh yeah creatures this large just like not not like as land animals not on earth anyway and and so i kind of like went down the rabbit hole with it and so i was like oh, i should make a video on it. that'd be fun totally a throwaway video and it ended up blowing up and i was like really oh okay <laughs> so there's always some topic like that like the camel thing blew up that I was not expecting. It was just like some funny side thing. Oh my God. Yeah, I feel like there's a whole bunch of them that's happened in the past like month or two where I was like, really guys? This is what you want to-
1: the, the wine video I thought was pretty good. <laughs> Which one? The wine, the the history of grapes. <laughs>
0: Actually, I had to delete that off of Instagram. Uh, no, what? I don't really, I don't ever delete videos, but I've dele- I've only probably deleted two in the past year. Uh, it's very rare that I do that. But I had to delete the wine video off of Instagram because I, you know, I don't control the algorithm. It pushed me down a path with a bunch of viewers who just decided to assume I was racist because I didn't talk about Armenia um, and that I was uh, a white of a plant or I'm. Mean, it was just it was just basically like. And again, my sources are like major, you know, it's like I'm not making it up. I'm getting it for like your fight is with these people. I feel like like I've done the research of what exists, you know, and and uh, I was talking about the oldest. um, The oldest sighting of wine being made, which is different from saying the oldest winery. That's not necessarily the same thing, right? The oldest winery would be like, we have a foundation here. We we can see where the house was, where I don't know how wineries work to be honest, but, um, but finding the pots that wine was held in is completely different, right? Because they don't necessarily know where those pots came from. It, you know, it's not like, we don't know which winery this came from or whatever. So finding the oldest pot, pots is one thing. And if they're older than the winery, then that's the first evidence of, Winemaking, making right a lot of people don't like that and they accused me of being racist it, it had gotten so bad that i i felt like i was getting to the point where someone's going to send a picture of my apartment you know to me again or something so i ended up deleting it and the other one that i deleted which i think actually made me pretty notorious in a very bad community was and it's funny like there's a learning curve where i learned how to phrase things so that i don't have people attack me at least not as much but that video was one of my earlier ones and in the math community, it's been long, long known that we can't predict dynamic systems super great. So that means like, you know, how the wind is going to blow. Exactly. That's why we can't predict the weather more than a couple of days out, because there's just too many there's too many parts at play. Right. And, and so we can only predict to a certain extent and then. It becomes, you know, like a butterfly flaps its wings and a hurricane forms. It's just there's too much going on. Right. So mathematicians have long known that, like, we don't have equations for a lot of this stuff. Like we don't actually know indefinitely, like two years out what the weather, for example, is going to be on, like, December 16th or something like that. And so uh, part of that can be traced to one of these equations that has to do with flight. So I the the way that I pitched it, which now I realize, like, wasn't wrong, but people are just going to hear what they're going to hear was that when it comes to flight we're not 99 we're not entirely sure how it's working because there is this small percentage that has to do with this math where we're not really sure why basically the wind i think is working the way that it is everybody in that community just took it as like we know how planes fly we know how things work i'm like do you know how an mri machine works that uses quantum physics have we solved everything with quantum physics no no we can know how to do something without knowing why exactly it's working. We do it all the time for all sorts of things. And, you know, when you study this stuff, you you start to realize like, oh, we don't really know. Like, we just know that it's going to work. We may not know why, but we know it's going to. I mean, people tore me apart for the plane video. And, I, and if I could do it again, I would say like there's a small aspect about flight. We don't understand. And here's the principle. And here's what we do. Like, that's how I would do it now, which is why I don't get the hate as much because I've learned how to like prepare myself for the men who just want an excuse to say that women should not have degrees and should stay in the kitchen. Cause that was mostly what I was getting. Um, which was really frustrating. Is like, what does my genital genitalia have to do with any of this? Like, I don't understand <laughs> why I don't, I don't, you know, and it was just so bad. So now I've like, prepared like the arguments in advance because it's always the same arguments so i'm like all right i so i have to choose my words really carefully and it's just kind of a bummer and that's kind of why like live streaming i've put off for so long because i can plan a script and research every single word i'm going to say and dodge a couple of bullets but live the way you speak in like just your colloquialisms come out and and you know the this flow of your own natural speech is going to come out and like words you use in everyday language like usually sometimes like well, now they start to have real meaning. And I, I, I'm I, not interested in micromanaging myself to that level. So I'm not really sure how like live streaming or or explaining this stuff in real time is going to go. And But one of the people that I, I really look up to, I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson's totally nailed it. You can see him picking each word very carefully. He's got decades of experience of people probably having torn him down in the beginning. And he's like, I need to be careful with my word choice because people hear what they want to hear. Um, and he's definitely nailed it now. You can see every time he's about to say something that he would probably say to like, you know, his family or his friends. He doesn't say, you know, and it, when he's live on like television, that's when he like, wait, I gotta, you can almost see him being like, how do I say this just right? And And now that I see it in him, I'm like, oh, they all have to do that. They all have to be like, how do I say this just right? And I don't have decades of experience. Like, I'm still pretty young in this. And it's like, man, this learning curve is Pretty brutal because they'll they'll look for any I'm sure he went through his own his own garbage, you know, of walking into a world that generally wouldn't have welcomed people like him, people like me, you know, and so you have to be even more careful. And it, it kind of it's pretty depressing to be perfectly honest. But um I try not to think about it and I try to just work around it and I try to pretend like it's not even a factor. Um, but yet still having to prepare for it. So that's kind of a bummer. <laughs>
1: but the reality of it is that you are among a very small group of people that are like forging a new way to communicate about, you know, the sciences. Because I mean, I mean, social media has been around for a long time, but I think only over the last couple of years have we seen this rise in people like yourself that are like simplifying really complex topics in ways that are easy to digest. And yes, you're trying to also make them entertaining, but at yeah. the at the end of the day, it's still about you know sharing knowledge. And you're doing this in a very public way where you are putting yourself out there to be taken down, but you keep doing it. At the end of the day, for you, why do you keep doing it?
0: The problems that I face are totally manageable, right? Like, obviously, I don't like them and they upset me semi frequently, but like, they're manageable. I mean, I come from a place where I stepped outside and the air was trying to kill me. Like, I can deal with. You know, the critics and the, and the naysayers, I don't enjoy it, but I can do it. It's not, like, going to stop me or anything like that. So I, I guess I would say that the threats aren't great enough to really, like, stop me from doing anything that's that's interesting. But on, on what you were saying before with with this becoming more popular, I would say that for centuries that has been the scientific, math, tech, all of them, it's been STEM's biggest obstacle, the underestimating of public support. They have underestimated that for centuries. It has always been a problem. And I would, you know, some people tried over the years, but I would say it really didn't start to kick off until Carl Sagan. And, you know, and that coincided with television. He really kicked off how to communicate pretty complex ideas in a digestible manner. I mean, one of the first I saw as a kid was him explaining higher dimensions with an apple and a piece of paper. And I was just like, that was brilliant. Like, what a simple perfect way to explain something so difficult you know and he had a gift for that people weren't as intimidated you know scientists and mathematicians and engineers and inventors they always had this air of intimidation about them this power move right um the main scientific community in london during the 1800s that group of people they would publish their work and stuff um and they would try to make it digestible but that was like that was a boys club that was like but that was like a Super smart rich boys club. You already like en- eliminate most of the human population right there. Um and, and it wasn't that they were hoarding the information. It's just I think they underestimated how much easier their lives would have been if people understood what they were working on and were excited about it. I think that would have made their lives a lot e- easier. Um and that's a pattern I've I've you, you read about and you've just seen for centuries until Carl Sagan really and then you know Bill Nye, the science guy had his own show and And so like kids are like, oh, this isn't so scary, you know. And um, now with social media, instead of having these vetted professors simplifying things, you have people like me who are definitely not professors who are teaching this stuff. And there's a big risk with that because I don't have the same credentials. So how do you know what I'm saying is super legit? And that's why I put on my sources. You know, it's like you don't have to believe me, but here's where it came from. And dude, a quick Google search you can see if I'm making it up or not. I mean, it's, you know, and and so when creators don't put their sources or at least put their credentials, like if they're a PhD student, you're like, ah, yeah, those, you know, they're probably they probably don't need the resources like I do, you know, because like they're living it, it is getting better, but at the same time there is some pretty big risks of not knowing who you're watching. And if they're explaining something to you, if they're picking their words as carefully as I am, as like a lot of other creators who've been doing this for a while, like they've learned, oh, I gotta be careful. Um, My, yeah, my biggest piece of advice for anybody who's starting is list your sources and be really careful of your word. Words you use every day, look them up in the dictionary. I mean, everything, like look up the word connected. I'm not even joking. Look up everything, really make sure that what you're saying is exactly what you mean because like Appalachian, you know, I think it sounds one way and apparently it doesn't in one part of the country. Like, you, uh, you know, words have different meanings, especially in the English language. Like you really got to be
1: super careful. You kind of landed on this job almost by accident. No, because yeah. really I mean, y- yes, that, that first post was kind of, you know, this, you were trying something new and you kind of fell into this, but you've really worked hard at it over the last couple of years. And it yeah. shows in like the work that you do and how carefully you have to think about every single post. It's not just as easy as it looks. No, it's <laughs> not. No. <laughs> but, but I mean, for, for you know, individuals that are interested in going into into STEM fields and, you know, they, they've watched one or two of your videos and they're like, oh, well, this is kind of interesting. Where do I get more information? Like, what sort yeah. of advice do you have for young people? Because the reality of it is you're on a platform that's predominantly, you know, watched by, you know, kids or young people yeah. that might yep. not know anything about science. And all of a sudden you've lit this flame that is like, oh, this is something of interest. So for people that want to study, you know, STEM, what's what are your recommendations? What what do you say to them?
0: Whenever somebody asks me that, I always hope it's a one-on-one conversation because it's very particular to a person's research. Like, I wouldn't give my younger self when I lived in the city, the same advice I would have given myself when I lived in the country, like, Oh, well now we got a resource issue. So everybody has like different advice that I would give based on their circumstances, their age, their resources. Um, Luckily the internet makes it pretty easy, but also at the same time kind of difficult because of that. Um, I mean, if you're young enough and you think that you're interested enough, then I would just be like, Oh, just go to school for it. And they'll take it from there. Like, You don't really have to plan out your future too hard whilst you're in school. You just need to know what your major is and maybe a rough idea of what you'd like to work on. And like you can figure it out in in the day to day while you're in school Um, for people who are older. And that's not an option because they have a career or they don't have the money for school or they have kids and they can't pay for that sort of thing or have the time for it. um, That's more like a casual you know, reading bestseller books by scientists. There's a lot of them that are really great at communicating to the lowest common denominator. Um, I mean, some of them have even written books, books for kids. You know, like there's a lot more than you think. I actually wish there was more. I don't know if it's getting popular or not. I can't really tell, but I feel like I've always had the same X amount of number of books t- that I can read in certain topics. And like when one leaves the shelf, another replaces it. But I have I don't know if I would say that I've seen it expand which is kind of unfortunate, but I think that has a lot to do with demand and people feeling really intimidated and overwhelmed. And, and I believe me, I get it. I mean, when I was younger, the intimidation factor mostly came from, wow, this is really hard. And also I don't look like everybody here. So there's, you know, both of that double layers, but I'm super cocky. So I don't really give a shit. So I was just like, whatever, get out of my way. I don't care. Like your words your words can't hurt me the air in my hometown can you know is you know like I always had that basis in the back of my head of like oh my god you're such a little weakling like you would have died if you lived where I grew up (laughs) like you know and people when I was 19 and like people would give me shit I was like okay you know like it didn't it, it annoyed me for sure but I I was not deterred in the slightest by it um But yeah, so it's just, it's, it's really difficult to figure out how to reach everybody and how to put them in the right direction because some things, some topics are easier than others, you know, and some are harder for others, depending on who the person is. I mean, for me, math was like a breeze. I I mean, I I really could sleep through my calc courses. (laughs) Like, you know, it, it came very easily to me, but chemistry did not. Chemistry, I was like... Chem 101, I was, I, I didn't know, I didn't understand anything going on. I felt like an idiot, but to some people, you know, chemistry is the easy one. So it's like, whenever somebody asked me that, I really want it to be like a one-on-one. Like you tell me where you live, what your resources are, how old are you, you know, like what comes easy to you and what doesn't and what your interests are. Oh my, it's, it, it's so specific on the individual that, yeah, those mass the mass question of like, where do I look if I want to know more? It's like STEM is life. It's existence. I mean, you're talking about STEM covers everything. So it's like, you're going to, have to be a bit more specific. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I need more information to, to point you in the right direction. Cause like some people reading a book about it does nothing for them, you know? And and that would be my first go-to, but uh, I think it's like 30% of people never read a book once they graduate high school. So it's like, obviously, that's not going to be good advice. So, um, yeah, I think it completely depends on the individual.
1: (laughs) And that was our conversation with Ashley Christine. You can follow Ashley's STEM videos by searching social media, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok for modern-day eratosthenes. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits by Michael Edlin. Editing and additional production support by Joshua Peterman. For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.